0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Empathic Futures Lab, the show about human-focused futures for the worlds in which we live in, or the environments in which we live in. I guess I should say. I'm Chris.
1: I live in a virtual pig pen. All right, and that's... I'm Christian. <laughs> that's Christian.
0: <laughs> good. <laughs> good,
1: good, good. Um, All right. That's my environment. No, this this was a this was a funny thing idea that uh, I think we were
0: discussing earlier, um, on Friday over, um, unlimited Korean barbecue. Oh wow. That sounds if, awesome. No,
1: Infinite Korean barbecue.
0: Infinite and, Korean barbecue. That sounds amazing. Is this at that so, place that was white horse?
1: Yeah. So it's at the old white horse and I think the owners are Chinese. Oh my but God. The, the lady who's always there, she's, she's super awesome and accommodating and, um, it's expensive, but wow, it's fun to get an infinite barbecue.
0: I'll have to I'll have to stop by champagne at some
1: and we could do that
0: maybe over mid reviews when are mid reviews are they before spring break
1: mid reviews are just before spring break so spring break let me figure this out real is
0: quick. that like um, mid mid-march
1: yeah so spring break starts uh Friday the 15th so our mid reviews are Monday and Wednesday the 11th and the 13th
0: oh, spring break starts Friday I was yeah, gonna so, say I could come down on a Friday and we could do this I could be on a review and do this barbecue thing that'd be awesome yeah but i guess well, that's not I a mean, thing.
1: what you should do is i should put you in contact with emmons because he actually has grad reviews on the Friday. Oh, that
0: would be awesome okay uh-huh. let's do that i might because i probably will have a comp day in mid uh march because there's a couple deadlines i'll be on so i'll hmm. be working a lot early in the month so i could take a day off mid month
1: yeah, so I don't know if he's already got people, but I'm sure he would welcome another.
0: Yeah, let him know that I would be interested in coming down, because that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, full disclosure, I had a beer with dinner, and it, it hit me a little harder than usual. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if that was uh because uh, it was too long between meals kind of thing, or, or what, but <laughs> I think it'll be more talkative today, hopefully.
1: Yeah, and I've got strawberry black tea. That's amazing.
0: That does sound pretty good. And I
1: got my, my little mountain climber uh, infuser that you get to drown when you plunge him into the sea. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: And the sniffles.
0: And the sniffles. Yeah, I'm a little sick, too. I don't. Something must be going around the Milwaukee Champaign urban area. Yeah. Well,
1: some when I take a look in the mirror today, <laughs> I, I, I don't like what I see. I need to get a haircut. Oh, no. But speaking of mirrors... <laughs> All right. All
0: right. So, so this week's topic is Mirror World. It, so recently in Wired, they, they released this article. I think it's the whole next issue is on Mirror Worlds. And basically, it's what they're kind of calling AR environments of the future. These sort of like ubiquitous, immersive AR environments the uh, the article itself reads very similar to the inevitable which we we talked about quite a bit in, in our uh series last season last year written by very kevin positively. kelly yeah positively. in a good way in a good way yeah. it, it's written by kevin kelly as well so you kind of yeah. read the article you can see how they're the same person we'll link that in the show notes it's a great read but yeah I'm Basi-
1: I, I to butt in real. Oh, quick. go for it. Sorry, I do that a lot. But the reality is, go read the article. It's maybe like a 25, one of these longer article formats from Wired. Definitely it's probably longer. Probably gonna be exciting for you to to read that. Maybe probably more so than listening to us. But huh. uh, don't turn us off just yet. We might have something interesting to say.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, so. I think it, hopefully exciting. If you like our, if you like the topics of our podcast, I would imagine you find this exciting. Uh, or at, or at least provocative, if not exciting, maybe provocatively scary or kind of concerning, or maybe a little of both. That's kind of how I felt. Uh,
1: I, I, it was this was great and it, it point it, it's, it sparked a couple in, uh, thoughts in my head. Yeah, and I know it did for you as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well I, so I just finished that book um, Architectural Intelligences and and the last quote, or the second-to-last quote in there, I thought was pretty awesome, where they were talking about how we need to. What, what was the quote? How we need to. Um, well, okay. So basically, it was talking about how we need to we need to explore these kind of environment, these digital environments, and these new technologies in a way that's sort of tottering between unimaginably repressive and unbelievably exciting, which I think kind of this article very much does do that where it talks about like it being repressive in terms of overarching information about the whole world, but exciting in that what possibilities does that bring forward? So,
1: So, yeah, I mean, to plug that book again, definitely valuable. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll be referencing it heavily, I think in this episode because I, I just finished it this morning and then the last chapter or so is very relevant to this conversation.
1: So that's Architectural Intelligences by Molly Wright Steenson. Steenson.
0: Okay, anyway, uh, back to Mirror World. So the idea of the Mirror World is that there's a digital twin for basically everything in our world, or at least at some point in the future this will happen. And this digital twin will be like mutable and understandable and dissectable uh, and, and host a bunch of information about the world so you can think of like Everything from like your streetlight will know, you'll know what a streetlight is, you'll know what a car is, you'll know where all the buildings are, Uh, It's sort of this like virtual world embedded in the physical world. But the difference being that it is like actually layered on top of or overlaid onto our physical world as opposed to like a VR thing where you're inhabiting it and immersing yourself in it and removing yourself from the real world. So essentially, it's like an augmented reality future is what this is discussing. Am I missing anything there?
1: No. And, um, yeah. So for a definition, I think that's pretty good. And like the whole article, it, it says all this as if, uh, as if it will happen as, as if it is inevitable. Right. And maybe, maybe that's likely because it's the same author, but the the article is presented as if all these things seem like they will happen. Yeah. and, And, um,
0: I think the premise is that we're on our way there if not if not almost there already so they don't want to predict an exact future but they're kind of producing trends so so really there's a couple like main themes that i that i jumped on in terms of what's being presented here Uh, the first one i thought that was really interesting was this idea that we're gonna be sort of super visual literate and Mm-hmm. In the same way that we can read and write in language and in text and letter form, we could, will in theory, be able to do that just as well in 3D in terms of like understanding 3D, physical, spatial, digital mechanisms, as well as produce 3D models to the same extent that we can produce paragraphs and words. Right. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was they were talking about as a, a way of kind of augmenting that, that everything in the real world by... Happenstance of having a digital twin, you'll be able to have this like X-ray vision uh, where you'll be able to see into it. Like suppose you're fixing an engine, you'll have like this sort of X-ray vision into what the engine is made of. And then you'll have all these hyperlinks that are like super connected into this engine. So if you don't know what things are, you can click on the hyperlinks or, I don't know, not click, but sort of follow the hyperlinks to get more and more information about what you're seeing and and understand something in 3D visually that way. And then after that is like, what, if these are like these overlays into the whole world that we're seeing, how do we start to monetize that? How do we start to govern that? Someone at some point is going to have to make this. That's probably going to be, at least suggested by Kevin Kelly, profitable and like this sort of advertising driven model initially, but maybe the better solution down the road is for it to become some sort of utility that we all share. I think that's like a better way of looking at it in terms of like a decentralized utility that is super transparent and everyone knows about it in ter- rather than some centralized thing operated by a private company uh and then he goes i thought probably one of the coolest things he brought up in terms of comparisons to how we should understand this is it's not really its own world that we're like living in but rather it's a super or a, it's a it's it's another world superimposed onto our current world showing more information similar to what happens when frodo puts on the ring in lord of the rings where he like sees new things and understands the world in a from a different perspective rather than seeing a completely different world right so that being said i don't think a lot of this is built on current situations in how we live right now i mean obviously there's a lot of hubbub about vr but this is kind of beyond vr and it's also not terribly unprecedented Both from a gaming standpoint, with what Magic Leap is doing, gaming, and I guess educational, I think is what they're trying to get at. But also from like an architecture and design standpoint, all these like BIM models are sort of this mirror world light where you're creating a a digital version of what you're trying to construct in the real world. So I think there's like some very real aspects to this.
1: Yeah, uh, I went to so I I took a bunch of quotes from the article and then wrote relatively very little in response to those quotes because, well, I, I think the quotes are pretty good themselves. So the one that you were mentioning earlier, I wanted to read that and, and dig into, and dig into a piece with that specifically about this, this idea of a, a hyper visual culture. Okay. Um, so it, what does he say? New technologies bestow new superpowers. We gain super speed with jet planes, super, I, I, I'm re, sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself. I'm reading this because I think it's it, it, it gets something across really well. Uh, we gain super speed with jet planes, super healing powers with antibiotics, super heal, hearing with the radio, the mirror world promises supervision. So you specific, you specifically meant, uh, meant reference this. We'll have a type of X-ray vision, able to uh, see into objects via their virtual ghosts, exploding them into constituent parts. Able to untangle their circuits visually just as past generations gained textual literacy in school learning how to master the written word. From alphabet to indexes, the next generation will master visual literacy. A properly educated person will be able to create a 3D image inside of a 3D landscape nearly as fast as one can type today. They will learn how to search all videos ever made for the visual idea they have in their head without needing words. The complexities of color and the rules of perspective will be commonly understood like the rules of grammar it will be the photonic era so there's um the book that i like to reference a lot is the three body problem series yeah and i think what i'm about to reference is actually in the third book which is death's end um maybe it's the second i can't remember it doesn't matter um, read read all three because they're great. So there's there's a part in the third book where uh, they introduce this idea where there's sort of this peace between uh, aliens that they have come in contact with, spe- alien species or whatever, and people humans Earth, and at this point like they've in- they've like come into a state of opulence, uh, pretty incredible opulence and it starts talking about this idea of like a hyper visual culture where everything is kind of represented as Kevin Kelly is describing one thing of which one 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 aspect of which is uh, is tied to uh, clothing and how and how you express yourself through clothing and you kind of have this programmable um uh, textile, where where you can change your clothing on on a moment's notice, and maybe it's almost like a mood ring in some ways, um, and it's it's all sort of tied to this visual, um, uh, what's um, currency I guess, um, which so what was what the author makes the point of doing is that people are almost that people lack any critical self awareness of sort of the, the world in which, in which they built, uh, especially with, with how they express themselves, their sort of clothing, and, and it's all just accepted. Uh-huh. So, so that was a question for me regarding this comment. This is called the photonic era. Um, is, is there, like, so the author's apprehension in, uh, in the three-body problem should we be equally apprehensive of a group of people that just grow up accepting this sort of visual culture without having a critical awareness of it? it? Would that be a likelihood? Do you have to have a perspective of a world out without that sort of visual photonic era in order to be properly critical of it? Huh, yeah. um, and I, I don't know if, you, if I can answer that, but I think Kevin Kelly writes about all this stuff so well, maybe because he's a little bit older and he he has a little bit more um, perspective on on how these things develop over time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So I think from my standpoint, I don't. It's almost like you're gonna have to set up this infrastructure in advance to sort of make sure that everything works out okay. I think we're at the point now in society where we're kind of realizing the unintended consequences of, of what we're doing digitally, right? We see this with Facebook and Google all the time. We kind of discussed this last episode about distractions and what is technology doing to us? Uh, what, How how much are we getting kind of overstimulated by all this stuff? And how much expression and doing need to, to display and take in? I think maybe that's kind of where you're getting it. I wonder if there's sort of this... I don't know. We've been working at this for centuries in terms of like, what are the set of rules that make people comfortable? And it's almost like we have to understand those better and codify those better before we start to push into this stuff.
1: Right. And he he talks about this specifically as if like it's as if it will happen. He says the complexities of color and the rules of perspective will be commonly understood like the rules of grammar.
0: Yeah, so you'd be able to, like, I don't know, there's that one image from the book or from the article where he's displaying these kids playing next to these mountains in a schoolhouse, but it's, like, mountains drawn over the top of, like, bookshelves and things.
1: where's this image?
0: I thought it was in that. Maybe it was was the one that Coulter sent me over email.
1: Oh, I think I... Oh, I forgot. I was wondering if there was another piece of something I should be looking at. Yeah, no, I don't. It's it's not in this article. Okay,
0: well then it must be in the other one. But basically, it was like this kind of cartoony rendering of there's two images next to each other, and one is of this school classroom where it's a bunch of bookshelves and the teacher and the other kids playing, and then there's one from like this kid's perspective where he's wearing whatever Google Glass or uh, contact lenses or whatever it is in the future that people use to augment their vision, where it's like the the bookshelves are like covered in a mountain snow-capped mountain that are like the same height as the bookshelves and all the kids are dressed in space wear and the teacher looks like an alien and it's kind of this really creative image of of kind of overlaying on top of people what you want to project on top of them i think that's kind of what he's getting at in terms of what do you what do you expect how do you how are you 3d literate because you kind of will be able to pick up on some of these these kind of 3d languages almost like you you've you kind of criticized black panther for this in terms of the cgi just kind of taking you out of the moment
1: i'm looking at this picture now oh yeah yeah we'll have to we'll have to include this additionally. yeah i thought that was pretty cool yeah i mean that this is it's it's such kind of a dumb image but it's it's really saying a lot,
0: right? The mirror worlds of like what, what? If we're gonna have all this visual stimuli, what is the point of the physical world? Because you're kind of just building on top of it. So we kind of almost have to have <laughs> these rules in place for the physical world of what is healthy, what is appropriate, what is what is comfortable, and then we also have to understand what sort of geometries and looks are best uh, programmed or augmented by digital technology in a way
1: yeah i mean like what's going to be the hamburger menu of the mirror world
0: yeah (laughs) or like what's going to be signage of the mirror world so i think you think about all these like what was that the robin venturi robert venturi thing where it's like shed versus the duck or whatever i think robert had had kind of looked at this in another essay where he was talking about what has google done to the to the shed or to the duck or to signage on highways and how it's no longer necessary, but if this is gonna be like this mirror world where everything's gonna be augmented, what does that mean to architecture or to our our physical environments? Because you're gonna have all this overlay information on top of a real world and like do you have this really cluttered architecture or really cluttered physical world and then you clutter it even more with the visual stuff?
1: Well, okay, so that I mean that kind of digs into what I really was interested in digging into in, uh, with this article, which is kind of, is tied to this question of like, authenticity and context and, and how much that matters uh, moving forward. So let me see if... Uh, I think a good place to talk about that is um, what, a quote here from the article. History will be a verb. With a swipe of your hand, you will be able to go back in time at any location and see what came before You'll be able to lay a reconstructed 19th-century view right over the present reality. Uh, To visit an earlier time at a location, you simply revert to a previous version kept in the log. The entire mirror world will be like a Word or Photoshop file that you can keep undoing, or you'll scroll in the other direction, uh, forward. Artists might create future versions of a place in place, uh, the similitude of such crafty world-building will be revolutionary. These scroll-forward scenarios will have the heft of reality because they will be derived from a full-scale present world. In this way, the world, the mirror world may be the best referred to as a 4D world. So I, I was trying to have this discussion about um, like the importance of context and, and authenticity and all that uh, yesterday, or no, Friday, over this uh, infinite barbecue um, and my my concern is that um, when you have the capacity to produce like this uh, do you we there's there's this uh, desire to have authentic place yeah and in my mind like the only authenticity is is its physical existence anymore okay um, because like is should there be a distinction between what is produced in the mirror world as like, and we know history can be something like if it's a verb, like it's also something that's highly biased. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so even showing a building, is there is there even an objective way that we can display that historically?
0: Um, I mean, without you mean, what's wrong with just recreating what you see in pictures, essentially, or right? If, but or the, rebuilding I mean, it you, from plans.
1: I, I, I almost think that like even if we recreate a building that is, that exists today in the future let's take like a, an apartment or anytime that we we approach the the issue of preservation like it's almost always focused on the exterior facade and and not the interior environments and, and whatever was going on in there right and so i think that is an inherently a bias that if if we just start with that right now with like The google version of it and they talk about this at some point if like the google maps version is just facades yeah or that are flat images hinged together yeah and it it, like if we start with that i mean that's already a bias in in how we represent the history i think (sighs) this isn't really a coherent thought right now because i haven't been able to really tie this all together to articulate super well and and maybe the best way to talk about this is to get into what you wanted to talk about which is
0: about BIM and understanding like the bits and pieces of how a building actually is right because I think ideally if we're going to do this you're going to have this sort of historical representation you're basically going to go off of record drawings or as-built drawings and recreate these buildings in Revit I I think maybe the hard part is understanding what the finishes are uh, or if the documentation isn't great yeah, what exactly did these look like? Because some of these are probably some sort of design build to some extent. But I think we'll get a relatively accurate picture of some of the opulence of some of these buildings, right?
1: Right, but it's so weird to have a perfect version of it.
0: Yeah. No, it definitely is. I think so. There was this quote in that architectural intelligence book by I think E Fu Tuan, basically saying a space becomes a, a place when someone gets to know it. Right. So it's like what is placemaking? And is placemaking really, to the extent that placemaking exists, just the ability to have significance to a person? And if that's the case, then placemaking could be really anything as long as it becomes nostalgic or kind of ingrained in your memory. Right, Anything could could be. be. If you're going to be, I mean, if you're going to be revisiting the same historical place over and over again, you kind of get to know it and you have some, like, remembrance of it, then maybe that's okay.
1: No, I, I agree uh, like i i wholeheartedly agree that someone can connect to something even if it's uh, superficial um and i i think we do right so well like, I mean, like we, we connect to dumb objects and and keep them around for nostalgia
0: yeah i mean suppose you, you go into a library post-renovation or a restaurant post-renovation and you'd be like well I'd rather look at this thing from the 1950s. Maybe every time you go in there you have that filter turned on and you kind of kind of come to expect that in a way.
1: Right, and I don't I don't really have a problem with that at all. I think what architects argue now is that context and authenticity is so hyper important. Yeah. Um and I think my 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 question here regarding the mirror world is if this starts to dismantle that idea.
0: Yeah, it almost certainly probably does start to dismantle that idea. I I think maybe you could kind of consider this as similar to how we're experiencing the world right now where sometimes we want to turn off technology and get away from it. And if that's the case, you kind of turn off your augmented reality glasses or whatever it is that we're wearing in the future. to do it's the opposite. What do you mean?
1: Or you just get deeper.
0: Well, deeper. yeah, I suppose it's, it comes down to personal preference, whatever you want yeah. to do. But I guess to a certain extent, you'd want a, a physical environment that looks good both without and with your glasses on or your vision augmenting device on. Right. right. Uh, whatever uh, that means. I don't know what that so- means. I think it's worth exploring what that means. I think you could have an authentic place virtually to a certain extent. I think to 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 say that architects and designers currently consider the only authenticity to be physical kind of works with their bias and what they're trying to sell to everyone in the world because you're, yeah. our business model is sort of invested in the fact that what's built and what you kind of can touch and feel is the most authentic thing. But that's not necessarily always true either. You think about all these crappy... Um, apartment buildings and office buildings that get built in suburbia or even in cities like how authentic are they they're just kind of built to be built so who really cares there's no it's an
1: authentic representation of its economic desire yeah okay (laughs) that's
0: true that's true but Uh to a certain extent that it's, it's it's not really anything special until it becomes special to you i thought that one there was one article from that mirror or one portion of that mirror world where it was like Talking about how you could leave post-it notes for a friend throughout right. space and, and throughout time. And I thought that was a really cool version of placemaking.
1: Right. I think I think that's the most important part. I think and I that's why that's why I have this this problem where the most important part of architecture is that it's like contextual and it relates to its place. But when 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 you start crossing time and seeing that Place is something that is extremely manipulable and changes, and at least in the U.S. right now, basically just follows an economic directive. Yeah, that that doesn't matter. What matters is is the ability for people to to build a, a feasible connection with something,
0: and I'm, I don't buy into the fact that a building has to look like the building next to it for someone to do that. Yeah, I I think you're right. And I think that just comes down to evaluating what it is that we're looking for in an environment we live in. I think if you go back to this, there's that Christopher Alexander chapter, or maybe it was Saul Wurman chapter, whatever. I, I'm referencing that book again. Let me go find it. Architectural
1: uh, Intelligence's book. Yeah. C- oh, it's Cedric Price. It's
0: Cedric Price, that chapter, where they're talking about, is Price like the first anti-architect? So the quote there being... If an architect was someone who created solid buildings that were constructed from long-lasting traditional building supplies, then the anti-architect was someone who sought to understand and justify the social function and role for the architectural project, maybe not designing a building at all. And I think that's like that's really great from the standpoint that maybe we're evaluating these projects wrong. Like do we really need to build something? Do we really need to use the resources at hand to build something if we're just going to be overlaying something else on top of it constantly. Right.
1: What's the the dumbest material? Like what's the dumbest canvas that you can work with? I
0: don't know. Chip board (laughs) (laughs) for stud walls.
1: Maybe it's like this material that has embedded sensing or something. Yeah, it could
0: be that. But like what, if you're, if you're concerned about the built environment and what's the context and what's the the generator of place and what's architecture's role in that maybe it's a reevaluation of what we're trying to do as an industry right if as an industry we're creating places and we're we're truly considering ourselves placemakers that might not really mean the building every time and you just have to come up with another business model that means we're not building buildings all the time right maybe we're designing places in some other way
1: yeah, I mean maybe maybe you're just designing notes to leave around in the world. You know, like designing pieces of history for people to discover, like an easter egg in a video game.
0: Right. Or maybe you're or you're building frameworks in which people can interact with each other both physically or digitally, whatever your kind of client or your your context demands. Or maybe you're recreating historical environments from old drawings in a way that makes sense and and maybe you're taking artistic liberties where where the drawings are incomplete so yeah, people... i mean i
1: think that's one of the coolest ones especially when you think about like the sagrada familia yeah. and the process that's gone through and the the lack of information that they have to have that they had and like how much work has to go into trying to build the record drawing right. <laughs> the drawing uh to actually build a thing
0: right I mean at the end of the day you're creating experiences right so whether that's someone else's experience that you're kind of taking creative liberties on or not or your own experience you're you're still the end of the goal is to create something useful and desirable for people to live and work and play in
1: so, yeah I think that's another thing for me is, is how much this whole article was tied to the idea of creating experience yeah um, creating this this uh, this this the situation which which you look back on and remember in a particularly visceral way, right? And that's that's kind of how we've come to define experience. But I think, I wonder if that idea of experience exists because of how we document our lives these days, or, or how much of it kind of exists because of
0: that, and, and the emphasis that we have on experience, quote-unquote, versus object. Right, um, well, we're kind of in this... Culture where we're almost post consumer well we're not post-consumer but we're like we're beyond the point where buying more things is useful to a certain extent
1: right like you collect you collect these situations in which you can post them to Instagram or right
0: right or, or, do it
1: or whatever and I did it an hour ago
0: right you do it for the gram right Maybe. so many people do it for the gram no I actually made this same note where I was talking about. Uh, what 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 is placemaking in this in this kind of Instagram era where you're almost making these fake experiences within your apartment building? I don't know if you remember that article I think I posted on, on Slack like maybe a month ago it was talking about how people at parties in New York would set up little like fake photo booths of different experiences to kind of show that people are having fun in a cool place without showing the rest of the context behind the photo. Or like
1: Well oh, there's these yeah. And the same thing. There's these weird traveling, like, exhibit-type exhibit... These things that masquerade as exhibits, which are only for taking Instagram photos.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, shit, I'm going to go take picture of and this thing.
1: I, I feel like if even if the mirror world is curated in such a way that it's not super attentive, boring, even if it's curated in such a way that it's not like that, I think you still end up with these situations in which places are built for, um, almost for the camera.
0: Yeah, but it, it's almost inevitable <laughs> to the certain extent that if we're going to have a culture where it's not about goods, it's, it's about placemaking, you're going to want to have places that are just fun to photograph in. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't get much out of it, personally. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think the The word is out that males tend to be less social network active, at least in the
0: same ways that females, uh, women, or whatever. That might be true.
1: I'm not entirely sure where to cite that source,
0: but <laughs> I mean there there are a fair enough fair amount of male uh, Instagram influencers, right?
1: right
0: and i right, and I'm right. part of that might be also due to the fact that males like to scroll on attractive females on instagram so i'm sure there's some driver in that as well i don't know how much females like to scroll on attractive males i can't speak to that but
1: okay so i think the thing was is like young 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 teen girls or like young women tend to be more susceptible to spending more time or Hmm. texting or, or whatever just just because i think I think the argument was males typically have resolved differences like physically um while females tend to do it in terms of more social situations
0: Interesting so you're like one up each other differently basically is what you're saying <laughs> Yeah
1: at, at least that, that was
0: That was the right. assertion of what you
1: Yeah when remember read. Where, where that came from Either way it, it I I do agree that and he points out in the article that there is possibility for Some more malpractice in in how the mirror world exists. Yeah, and I I, like you know as we said a hundred times over, like as architects, you kind of have to put yourself in, put yourself at the table, and try to have a say about how this stuff ultimately exists instead of just ignoring it and just saying we're just doing buildings.
0: Right. Right. There's value in being physical things. There's value in being an anti architect. I mean, I I think it's certainly true that. It's not something that the profession is entirely ignoring, right? Like BIM, building information modeling, city information modeling, which I just discovered was a thing, but apparently has been big for a year or two already. Right. Uh, So
1: this is what you wanted to get into. Right.
0: Well, I I think to a certain extent that it's a thing. It's sort of this narrow-minded technical approach to this augmented reality. Uh, that architecture is already producing like i think it's useful to understand that that technology is there and it's possible it's just it's almost like it's being explored in a very technical way as opposed to being explored in an experiential way and right right? we need to have both
1: i meant this is what you wanted to get into in terms of our discussion right right no no i understand professionally i understand yeah no i agree so like a lot, of, a lot of that seems to be very founded in... What was this one that you sent? Uh, Digital Twin Cities. Oh, yeah,
0: City zen. I just it's found that today. Zenith.
1: It's, it's actually Zenith. CityZenith. They, kind British of cool. Pronounced Zenith. So yeah, that's extremely market practical focus. Right. It's
0: all about the retail, re- retail market. How do you... Or building operations or facilities management kind of oriented. There's a little bit of design tool in there. It'd be nice to have... I don't know, more of a market study in terms of how does that help designers? Because I think it'd be something that'd be worth getting into as a designer. I just don't know how to sell it to my bosses as something we can market to clients as useful to them that we can do and be useful to them maybe that they run.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of this would be either you hire an architect to produce the 3D model and then um, hire these guys to kind of tie everything together right tie and then, all the information sets together and then like it just hand it gets hand off to the building manager
0: right or you just query data from it and learn from it and relay information to the building manager over again i don't know how much we're equipped to do that as an architecture firm but it's worth looking into i think but so i, I read this thing recently about i think robert posted in slack about hudson yard's how it's like kind of stalling out as a smart city and they're just kind of doing the re- real estate version of it. Cause it's just so complex that they don't have the resources to, to pursue it uh, as a smart city. And, and they're going to pursue like the second half of the development as more of a smart city. And hopefully they'll like add on technology to it after that. But basically they are just like related group is a real estate company and that's what they're really good at so to add on like this data management to their scope is really difficult because they're not really good at that which i suppose kind of makes sense in terms of why you want to get into it and and perhaps that also makes sense as to why architecture firms aren't getting into this but i would think that anything that has to do with the design of the physical environment is something that we should pay attention to the
1: design of the experienced environment
0: experienced environment which happens to also be the physical environment in this case right but so so i think something that it would be useful to move on to then from architecture is like and this is i don't think something that we have the answer to but what what does it look like to design something for the mirror world like is that something that we can do or is it purely a visual overlay onto the world we live in
1: well that's the thing okay so that's a really good question um because you would think that just a visual overlay is only a digital thing. But if you design both aspects kind of at the same time, that it's just that much better. Yeah. if You design the physical and the the digital at the same time, then there's, then there's certain feature or there's certain characteristics of the physical that you would want to emphasize and, and, um, make super awesome. And, there, and then there's certain characteristics that digital is going to be more in tune with that that you want to to have a lot of fun with and and kind of explore the potentials of so to me i i think moving forward the stock of buildings that we have right now and whether or not you want to kind of experience art deco opulence is one thing but the reality might be this this crazy clothing type thing which is designed for to to function for both yeah, not just not, the combination and, and not sort of a retroactive application.
0: Right. Or does it like make sense for architecture to be purely functional and leave the sort of aesthetic aspects mostly to digital?
1: Well, okay. So, so architects just do the code required work.
0: The code required work, the sustainability work, the energy work, and then anything like plants or uh, material selections that kind of make people happy or healthy or whatever and then you I, like i think the low-hanging fruit here is, is signage right so you look at that hyper reality project that that guy did where it's just signage everywhere it's and, and advertising good. everywhere right. uh, that's like the low-hanging fruit here but what else is there
1: so i think right? i think if architects give up aesthetic it's over
0: yeah i mean that's certainly true but i, I think if we're not careful as an industry that's going to happen to a certain extent. Because, like, who wants to pay for aesthetic if there's just going to be a digital right. overlay you, that...
1: like, who wants to pay for a physical movie set when you can just CG it?
0: Yeah, exactly. Who wants to who... pay for a crazy-looking modern building if there could just be a white box that performs amazingly well and you overlay branding and materiality and all that onto it and it changes with the culture of the time? Like, I think that's, like, a... That's a trade-off that we should be aware of is potentially going to happen and what is the argument against that
1: what is the argument against that
0: right because i i think the the only argument i can think of against that is what happens when you turn off your glasses
1: who cares everyone's doing it (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's that's the answer i'm like building owner doesn't care and maybe maybe what it is is like it'll be it'll be the next big thing and it'll be exciting and privileged that's not the word i'm looking for exclusive or special right or
0: yeah but you know once it becomes banal and ubiquitous then maybe maybe there's the pendulum swings back and an actual physical aesthetic actually starts mattering again right Um, once people get tired of this mirror world once the novelty of turning buildings into mountains wears off
1: <laughs> or bookshelves into
0: mountains or bookshelves into mountains well yeah
1: the content of these books has mountains in it therefore <laughs> the bookshelves should be mountains
0: <laughs> well i think the idea is you can turn them into whatever you want it could be a, a, a I don't know a wall of water if you wanted it to yeah. be the
1: content of this book has a waterfall so it the books should be waterfall
0: yeah well the other thing though is like what happens if you have this really rectangular building like how do you turn that into a mountain do you like do you have do you have the
1: matter if like authenticity doesn't matter who cares
0: yeah but like what suppose like do you (laughs) this this is like kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of the coding but like do you do you keep the bottom of the building the foundational like total floor footprint of the building to be the base of the mountain and then you hide the rest of the building and have it, like, cone up to the top? Or do you have the top equal the cone of the mountain and you kind of build out from there? Like, it's kind of weird.
1: Here's a really, really funny response to that. and Because, like, there's actually an art project that did this, kind of, right? Because I I don't think it matters. So the, the project was by this artist that his name... Mike Nadar Michael Nadar um and he he did he did this series of fictional mountainscapes uh-huh mountain ranges uh, except the mountain ranges were actually stock market graphs uh-huh they just represented stock market graphs but they look much cooler than stock market graphs of course so i don't think it matters as long as it looks cool and people can yeah well like
0: it- it matters to the point that you can stub your toe on a real building. Right. But you can't stub so, your toe on so a fake the mountain. the
1: 15 feet matter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can, you can have your mountaineering shop embedded inside of the mountain building and, and you kind of have to climb your way into it or something. Yeah. It's okay. like, like, the physical world is just a series of tessellated triangles of gypsum board. The reality is you have your, your mirror world goggles on and you're climbing into this into this mountaineering shop inside the mountain building and and then it's just the most exciting thing for you and you do that once a week for your mountaineering practice is climbing to the building uh and the ultimate prize is is buying something
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay that that's (laughs) true so i don't
1: but the reality is people actually live in the mountain
0: yeah well okay so here's another question suppose you have like this really great like I don't know what do you want to call it Uh, weathered steel building where this it's like this orange that weathers into a green but this weirdness of the color and the texture make it really hard for the AR device to like to white out so really like you have this weird condition where you're trying to AR a mountain onto this building but you have like the fuzziness of the actual building blending through because the graphics like the glasses can't read it are people going to be like, uh, I don't want this built. I don't want my buildings made out of this material anymore because the VR glasses or the AR glasses can't deal with it very well. So then all of a sudden, this starts to starts to impact what we can build our buildings out of. Yeah. Right. I don't. Know. I think that's an interesting question because now oh, we're no, I think you're right. now we're limiting <laughs> our architectural palette to what these digital devices can deal with.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And so the mountain building, for instance, which which I think is a hilarious concept. I, th- I think that's great. Um, the mountain building, for instance, could be like triangularish shaped, right? Right. Like what else? What else?
0: Is or maybe right it's a shape? giant white rectangle because you can, you can. Uh,
1: well, a giant white triangle.
0: A giant. Well, I think it could be a rectangle. Or what if you made? What if all the buildings in the future were giant green screens? There are all these giant green rectangles with green glass on them, so that so that it was super easy for the computer to just like so, so wipe them out. Made you- Yeah. So, (laughs) well, and then so the so the AR device can just white out all of these buildings.
1: Yeah. No, you're right, and I ran into that problem. So, like, I was trying to do this this weird, funky, filmy type project where I was superimposing mega structures as if they as if they had existed and were like deteriorating. Uh huh. I I've done this once, and I need to do more. But I superimposed this mega structure into this. Uh, square in volterra italy
0: uh-huh.
1: um, and and it's so dumb because like i realize how important green screens are to actually mapping things because if you don't if, you, if it's not green screen it's almost impossible to crop things out properly right so right. it has to be green screened in order to uh, yeah. so maybe imagine... the technology will get there eventually but
0: yeah i man, mean maybe ai will fix this but imagine that we have this like five year period in the future where all of our buildings are just these green rectangles <laughs> so that they I can love, be ar on top of.
1: That's, that's actually like a little project we should do. We should, we should actually draw that. I think it would be
0: fun. <laughs> well, all you have to do is like you use whatever that like what is the green uh, gyp board or green exterior like sheathing that people oh, sheathe though there and you just like leave that on system. yeah you just
1: everything is zip system yeah
0: you just leave that on your building and don't clad it
1: <laughs> that's that makes me happy <laughs> i think i think the reality is i think you're actually probably mostly right okay it probably won't happen but if it were to happen that's probably something along the lines of, of what would happen well it's
0: going to be this weird sort of five-year period where buildings built will have this like and it's going to be to your point of authenticity super authentic to the era where the technology hasn't caught up to like being able to white out random buildings so they're just going to be green buildings
1: right and okay so that, that brings up a really good point because culture mentioned this um Comment a couple with our discussion. He was talking about bezels, right? Yeah. Like, how will people remember this this time in the future? Right. It'll be about um, this this idea that we have to make the screens screen like they have to be recognizable as screen. Right. Uh, And but we're slowly pulling that away. We're slowly becoming screen. Yeah. Um, And and I think that you're right that's the real authenticity is is whatever is the objective reality of of what, what that time was about right
0: your your authenticity is related to the technological limitations of that time period
1: well maybe not even necessarily technological limitations but like the uh Oh, no, this this is bad. I can't say this. I, I think that's super biased to say that the authenticity is about whatever is the primary concern of people in the future regarding the time period it was. I don't know. That's interesting, though.
0: I think to a certain extent it's true. You're authentic to your time period.
1: So, like, it doesn't matter. So as long as it doesn't even matter if, like, you want to superimpose an Art Deco building on this house that I live in right now. Like, it, it's it's just about the fact that that time, sort of, period existed.
0: Yeah, before. yeah. Well, and it's existing where you live right now, and if you want, like, suppose you superimpose an Art Deco building into your room, and you're able to share your creation with someone else, like, that's authentic, right? They turn on your glasses and they can see exactly what you can see. And I mean, do you
1: have to, should you tell people that this thing never existed here?
0: No, because
1: allow it to happen I don't
0: know. If it's real to you, is it real to them? Right? Well,
1: okay, so I've I've built um a speakeasy into my living room.
0: Yeah.
1: With the assumption that this existed in nineteen twenty or
0: four or whatever. Yeah, but who cares if it existed? It it could be a collage of time periods. It's as long as it's authentic to you and your own creation, like and you're it's it's it looks right isn't that part of the visual literacy literacy of it like it looks right and you created it and everyone else can see it so if it has meaning to you and meaning to them maybe it's authentic
1: yeah screw architecture,
0: <laughs> screw architecture. <laughs> it's, it's an overlay yeah. right as long as you it can put matter. your as long as you can put your drink on it it's real
1: <laughs> oh man
0: all right is is that a good place to, place to stop this conversation?
1: Probably. All right. I well, think I I mean mountain buildings, living room speakeasies, and and whatever else like I yeah. green green buildings.
0: Green buildings, literal green buildings.
1: meaning to green buildings.
0: Not the sustainable ones, the literal green buildings.
1: Wait, that's, We should actually do this drawing. It would be hilarious. <laughs> Cause like we can we can title it, "The Future of Architecture is Green Buildings."
0: <laughs> we, find an, we should find a, find a, a competition to submit this to. It'd be super easy. You just design a green rectangle in some urban context, and you just have to have really well, good like we diagrams. Have to
1: do the detailing like super ridiculously over the top. <laughs>
0: Oh, no, the detailing is use exterior jip board, paint with high quality, high performance paint.
1: <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Like the project needs to be presented. So Alex Barr, who we hung out with in Chicago, but I don't think you were there, um, he's a friend that I worked with at KT and now he's at ASGG, uh-huh. he had this great project, which we can, we can reference. We can put the uh, link in that was recently featured on Kuzark. Okay. Uh, which the whole idea was that he's kind of presenting this reality as if it's happening as uh-huh. if it's happened, and like the whole project is presented on construction documents as oh if it's real gosh. so like the the production of this of this drawings could be like the green building or whatever and yeah. it's all presented with like
0: Construction <laughs> it's just, well, what we need is to like have the insides. Of it would be this super high performing, well insulated CLT construction that's like super sustainable and very green, and has this great life cycle analysis performance. And then the exterior of the building is just exterior gyp with the note high performance <laughs> paint. <laughs> see well, specifications
1: like, and, and, and like it lends it, it lends it this this joke of authenticity of yeah. like this is now real because it's yeah. construction documents yeah
0: or it could be i don't know what is the least textured thing out there it has to be like the least textured green possible like zero um... it's just com- completely flat is it just so like it, green... It's just like AC- hardy panel. Or like green... A- it's just I don't know. green
1: hardy panel.
0: But hardy panel has this weird texture to it. Maybe it's just like a giant 35 foot by 35 foot green ACM panel. <laughs> and it's just completely flat. No sheen, no nothing, no imperfections, no joint lines. It's just completely flat. You'll have to have windows in here somehow. I don't know how we're going to do that.
1: Windows are...
0: The greenest glass possible.
1: like you know and then we have to stamp the drawings like 2025 or something
0: yeah that would be awesome (laughs) i mean i mean the guy one of the guys i work with always described this like i don't know starfire glass or whatever where it's like completely clear and has no colorations he's like this is the cadillac of glass and i'm like okay great I don't really care that much (laughs) about glass, but okay, if you're excited about it, I'll be excited about it too. But now for this project, the Cadillac of glass is going to be the greenest possible glass. And the best thing is, that's the cheapest glass.
1: (laughs) Because it's the nastiest. (laughs) Alright, well, now that we're done taking a giant dump on all architectural (laughs) practice. Oh my gosh. This, This is, we should call this podcast... The, the future of architecture is green buildings, <laughs> <laughs> and no one's gonna get the joke unless they listen to the end
0: all the way through. That'll be great. <laughs> no, if we do this, I'll present it to my firm and our like, we're we're thinking about having these little Pecha Kucha things on the third Wednesday of every month, and
1: no one's everyone's just gonna look at you like you're bonkers. I
0: think that's that's fine. I don't really care that much. I mean, we had our last one canceled, but if if. <laughs> If we have the next one and we actually do this, I'll present it. I'll be like, all right, guys, here's the
1: future of buildings. Yeah. I did one of those pachakacha things at KT where I talked about everyone. I had actually a really good conversation with a couple people afterwards, but I think most were just like, what in the world? (laughs) (laughs) I talked about, um, well, I think ultimately what kind of ended up being my clog article.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's a good thing to talk about. What? That's a good thing to talk about.
1: Yeah, which is like artificial intelligence form. yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, you yeah, should do it. And we should you should have pictures from this proposal.
0: Definitely. Oh well, I have that clog. I just haven't read your thing yet. Right, right. Oh
1: Roberts is in there too. Yeah, I, need to I got that. Uh, I didn't realize but they send uh author issues. They send you an issue if you're an author Wait, is so it I different it. from
0: the regular one? What? Is it different from the other one? No, no,
1: no, no, it's the same, oh, but okay. I now have two.
0: Oh, nice. Well, you can sell one, then.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that.
0: All right, anyway. Twice,
1: twice as proud of myself.
0: <laughs> All right, good stuff. Anyway, uh, thanks so, for listening, everyone. This is a, a pretty decent conversation, I suppose.
1: I think we need to pick up on the speculative nature of this conversation next week.
0: Definitely, definitely.
1: I think, I think it could... I think this conversation got fun at the end and i think it could get more fun
0: yes i i, I don't disagree all right i'll sign off thanks for listening yep. rate us if see you want to see y'all
1: next week on another episode of empathic futures lab <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun.